1: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, have them go to www.hotm.tv. They can watch from anywhere in the world through streaming video. We invite them to do that. You can also go to that website and find almost 200 archived hour-long shows That tell you nearly everything you'd ever want to know about Mormonism, but we're afraid to ask. We are really excited about the prospects of 2010, the year 2010 coming up, and what they're bringing to heart of the matter. Why? Well, we're going to do an alphabetized, topical, uh, in order um, expose on the biblical teachings that. the LDS use the biblical passages LDS use to support their teachings and then teach what uh, the, the Bible really teaches. So, for instance, uh, we'll, one week we'll do Adam and Eve, and the next week we'll do apostasy, and the next week we'll do apostles in order chronologically. So, you'll have kind of like a volume A to Z when the year's done baptism, baptism for the dead, etc., and then you can go and open up and hear what they say and how they use the Bible to support it, and then we can teach you what the Bible really says about it. We think these programs might possibly do more uh, than any of the other programs to prove Mormonism is not Christian. So we hope you'll uh, stay tuned and spread the word for that. I had the blessed opportunity to be a guest pastor at Sandy Ridge Community Church this past week. It was wonderful to be able to meet up with folks out there and study the God's Word. More and more, we're receiving invitations uh, from churches, large and small, to guest speak and uh, tell how the Lord is working in, in the ministry. Sometimes we speak during the week. Sometimes we do it on a Sunday. If the pastor is going to be out of town, it's up to the pastor. If you'd like to arrange for such a visit, have your pastor give us a call at one Look at how professional I am. 868-4686. Or 868 HOTM. You can also email us at sean at hotm.tv for more detailed information. In most cases, it's been up to the, the fans and viewers of Heart of the Matter to go to their pastors and say, hey, uh, if you want them to come in and, and, and talk, they're more than willing to do it free. Love to speak to the people in Utah about the ministry. I recently had a supporter from the ministry share an insight. She had, while she was a member of the LDS church, she said, you know, I was flying to go on my mission to London, England, and I had this great feeling of appreciation well up inside of me. And then she went on to identify this feeling as patriotism. But she realized at the same time that this was the very same feeling she had toward her family. Feelings of patriotism, feelings toward her family. Even as a young missionary, she said she realized she could not tell the difference between these emotional responses toward her nation and her family and those she had for her church. It was all one and the same based in emotion. And it was uh, at this point of this mission that she realized there's no difference within Mormonism between feelings of patriotism, feelings of family, and the way she was taught to discern truth. All emotional triggers, and and they create the same type of thing. So if you want to know what a Latter-day Saint generally says when they say the Holy Spirit is moving upon them, think about how you feel when you hear uh, Star Spangled Banner, it's a patriotic moment. Yes, it is an emotional event. You are feeling that, and that's what they liken, the, the moving of the Holy Spirit upon them. Uh, Even as at a young age, though, this girl uh, was able to see there was real trouble with the way she was then seeing things around her. I can't help of think about people who say things like, I'm really unsure if Jesus is real, but I know the church is true. Or somebody who was related to me who actually said, even if God doesn't exist, Mormonism is the right church. I'm not kidding you. So this is the result of emotionalism. And this, in the same vein, someone could easily say, I don't believe in God, you know, but God bless America. When emotions do both the convincing and are the motivator, uh, truth and right become irrelevant. Adolf Hitler used great emotionalism through architecture, through music, through his rhetoric and speech, to create a nationalist fervor among the Germans. Swelling patriotism, a desire to uh, serve and to self-sacrifice, and a strong sense of master race family, he invoked all of that through emotionalism. And this, and through this, he also got um, those people who believed in him to do some very bad things and think some very bad things. A few days ago when I was traveling back from California On the plane, I saw a documentary on the Coca-Cola company, and in it, the host described the Coca-Cola's marketing strategy as one where they sought to tap into the most emotionally uh, heightened experiences of an individual's life, their patriotism, their families, highlighted sporting events, and being in love. Coca-Cola seeks to produce a lump in the throat, the kind we get when we see mean Joe Green coming off the football field and a little boy says, here, Joe, and and Joe takes it and he drinks, and then he's so happy that the kid gave him the, he throws him his towel, and we're all crying there, you know, and saying, what a, and and then drink Coke, you know, it's this emotionalism. The program went on to suggest there's similarities between the marketing tactics of McDonald's and travel and tourism industry. All of them use touching imagery and filtered lighting and emotional phraseology, and soft, lilting music, family, and images of love. And I state something I often do. Oh, there is hope in the words and emotion in the eyes. It's so easy to be misled by their sad and gentle guys, and like fools, they trust the delivery, but it's all just drunk sincerity. It's Disney, it's Coca-Cola, McDonald's, and my friends, it's Mormonism. Imagine for a moment the scene where God of the Father in the Old Testament is wiping out Uzzah for touching something just to try to help. Do you remember that scene? Compare and contrast that vivid scene of God striking him dead and Uzzah trying to help and those emotional scenes that people use to market their products to you. Imagine Isaiah walking around naked by command for four years and compare that to the scenes you'll see in these commercials. Or Elisha uh, cursing 42 children for mocking his baldness, and two she-bears coming out of the forest and ripping them to shreds for mocking the prophet. Picture John the Baptist, filthy, unshaven, standing there in camel's hair coat and ripping the heads off grasshoppers as he is doing what he was called to do. Then think of Jesus and hear the sounds of the whip across his back, of the nails being pounded through his hands, of the blood and the dirt and suffering. My friends, God is real. He is historical. He's not soft lighting, he's graphic, he's unafraid, and he didn't package even himself in a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, perfectly fit frame when he came and took on a body to save us. He packaged himself in what Isaiah said was something that no man would desire. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world give I unto you. This peace that comes is not what the world gives you. It's not these marketing strategies. It, and with this, consider those things, and let's have a prayer. God of heaven, we worship and honor you, and we thank you. Father, we pray that you will be with our staff, our volunteers, the technical intricacies of this program, with our live audience, with our audience uh, who are out in TV world, our uh, YouTube audience, our archive audience, and uh, streaming video audience. Lord, we place this in your hand and ask that we'll be able to articulate these things to people to help them see the differences between Mormonism and true biblical Christianity. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to finish the year out, God willing, by examining the role of racism in Mormonism. And by endeavoring endeavoring to examine the role of racism in Mormonism, there's more at stake than just looking at the doctrines and attitudes and facts found within the religion. We must also ask, if racism actually played a part in the establishment of Mormonism, have those seeds been eradicated from its spiritual foundations, or does racism continue to live in Mormonism today? Also, we need to ask, How trustworthy is the spiritual leadership of the LDS, who at one time not only condoned, but promoted racism within the ranks of the LDS, but now seem to refute it? Finally, also we must ask, how can a Latter-day Saint know the spiritual advice they are getting today, which is supposed to be eternal advice, will not be refuted by their leaders in the future? And then finally, we might ask, what is at the core of racism? And does the Bible support racism, bigotry, and exclusion since Jesus came and broke down the veil with the good news of the gospel? We'll try and answer these and other questions over the course of these next few weeks. In order to really get a handle on racism within the LDS church, we must first go to their scriptures, particularly the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price. From these modern revelations, which are... Uh, received by the LDS members as being of God, we find the earliest seeds of racism in Mormonism. So I'm going to talk about some uh, passages that are in the Book of Mormon that are racist, and then some passages that are in the Pearl of Great Price that are racist in a different way, and then a teaching and how all of those form the foundation of racism within the LDS church. In the Book of Mormon, 1 Nephi 13.15, a vision is recited by one of the main characters of the book, and in his description he says, And I beheld the Spirit of the Lord, that it was upon the Gentiles, and they did prosper and obtain the land for their inheritance. And I beheld that they were white, and exceedingly fair, and beautiful, like unto my people, before they were slain. The end quote. The line that the Gentiles seen in this vision were white and exceedingly fair and beautiful is key to understanding the mindset of early Mormonism relative to race. White was akin to beautiful and worthy. Dark was akin to ugly and rebellious. And I'm talking about skin color. Later in the Book of Mormon, it describes what God did when he divided some bad sons of a family, from some good sons. And I read, quote, And he had caused the cursing to come upon them, yea, even a sore cursing because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, that they had become like unto Flint. Wherefore, as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing unto my people, the Lord did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them. That's in 2 Nephi 5.21. Now notice the correlation between the hardness of their hearts and the color of their skin. And that in order to keep the good family from being enticed by the hard-heartedness of the others, God did what? He put a skin of blackness upon them. All right. Later in the Book of Mormon, the writer describes the Lamanite people who were the dark-skinned descendants of a Book of Mormon character named Laman Laman, by saying, listen, quote, Behold the Lamanites, your brethren, whom ye hate because of the filthiness and the cursing which had come upon their skin. Then two verses later, the writer shares a concern he has for his white-skinned people by saying, "Oh, my brethren, I fear that unless you repent of your sins, that your skin, referring to that their skin, referring to the Lamanites, that their skins will be whiter than yours when you shall be brought before the throne of God. So what he's saying there in that Book of Mormon passage to his white people is, unless you repent, I fear that your skin is gonna, that the, the Lamanite skin, the Indian skin, is gonna become whiter than even yours will because of their righteousness. This is a theme that has not been removed from the Book of Mormon. This is a theme that's still in the Book of Mormon. All right. So here in the Book of Mormon, the ancient writer feared this dark skin, evil, white skin, good. Then later on in Alma chapter three, verse six through nine, the writer explains what evil existed in the Lamanites that had caused their skin to go black in the first place. It says, and the skins of the Lamanites were dark according to the mark. Remember that according to the mark which was set upon their fathers, which was a curse upon them because of their transgression and their rebellion against their brethren. Then later toward the end of the Book of Mormon in 3 Nephi 2, 14 through 16, the writer describes an amazing dermatological event that occurred in the land. It says, And it came to pass that those Lamanites, those are the dark-skinned people, who united with the Nephites and were numbered among the Nephites, the Nephites were the white people, their curse was taken from them, and their skin became white like unto the Nephites, and their young men and their daughters became exceedingly fair and were numbered among the Nephites. So here in the Mormon's most important spiritual book, there is a teaching that dark, loathsome people who are dark because of the hardness of their hearts can and will, in fact, become white and whiter and delightsome if they join sides with the spiritually enlightened. This is in the Book of Mormon. Those Book of Mormon passages set the racist stage around Indians. That is how Joseph Smith explained how Indian skin became darker than their white-skinned brothers. There's jokes, with there's seriousness, too, within the Mormon community that all Mexicans, Hispanics, everybody who has a darker skin is somehow a Lamanite. They literally talk. I've heard Polynesians who are LDS joking with each other, calling themselves, hey, he's a Lamanite brother, they're Lamanite brother, all thinking that they've gotten this dark skin because their ancestors were sinful. And that goes on there. Then there's another LDS scriptural reference, which gives place to racism in Mormon past and present. It's found in the short reference of the Book of Moses which is Joseph Smith's retranslation of the biblical book of Genesis and it's found in the LDS book The Pearl of Great Price. The reference is Moses 722 and it reads for the seed of Cain were black and had not place among the seed of Adam. So from this scripture also provided by Joseph Smith skin color was once again used as a barometer for a person's righteousness. But this time, it's a black skin or a mark that came from the sinful loins of Cain. These are the primary scriptural sources within Mormonism that have something to do with skin tone. The Book of Mormon passages refer to the Indians and the Hispanics' dark skin. And the uh, Book uh, Book of Moses uh, references refer to black folks. Okay. Now, once they were taken... uh, these two skin pigment positions, uh, they add a third influence from Scripture that makes them racist in how they view people. And this is found in the book of Abraham. It's the third recitation. And it's located in the, which is located in the Prolog Great Price, Abraham 3.22. In that passage, Joseph Smith, he found some papyrus, and he said he was able to translate it. And as he translated it, He said, Abraham had a vision of the pre-mortal existence. That's where everybody's supposed to live before we come to this earth. And in that pre-mortal existence, there were great and noble ones who were present around this council, okay? And um, speaking of this great council and the great and noble ones who were gathered there, Apostle Neil A. Maxwell wrote in his book, But for a Small Miracle, page 93, Brother Joseph Smith was chosen for the last dispensation or the seventh dispensation. At that time, the Grand Council set into heaven to organize the world. Joseph Smith was chosen to be the last and greatest prophet to lay the foundation of God's work of the seventh dispensation. So you might remember last week, we talked about Islam and Mormonism. And we talked about how Islam said Muhammad is the last and final prophet. Here, we have an LDS apostle saying that in the councils of heaven, the great and noble ones were gathered together, Joseph Smith was among them, and he was called to be the final and great last prophet of the seventh dispensation. Now, uh, how did this revelation of great and noble ones contribute to the idea of racism in Mormonism? It contributed in this way. The Mormons came to believe, and they were taught from Joseph, Brigham, all of them, that if there were great and noble ones in the pre pre-existence state, before the earth was formed, when we were spirit people, then there were also not so great and lowly ones. And if there were not so great and lowly ones, who would they be? Well, when we get to earth, the way you can tell if somebody was not so great and lowly in the pre-existence was by the color of their skin. So not only was were they the blacks from the seed of Cain, they came through the seed of Cain because in the preexistence they were not so great and they were lowly, and they came through and they inherited a black skin as a direct result of their disobedience or laziness or whatever they did in the preexistence. The most noble then would be white Anglo Saxon born Mormon. Born Mormon. See, if you're born Mormon and you're white, blue-eyed, and man, you must have been one of the great noble ones in the pre-existence. You were born into the true church, so you didn't even have to find it. It was given to you because of all your righteousness in this pre-existence. So... The belief that skin color and righteousness are linked as taught in the Book of Mormon and Moses. The idea that Indian folk have a dark skin because of a curse and that black uh, folk have dark skin because of a curse. And finally, that there was great and noble ones in the pre-existence, therefore not so great and lowly ones in the pre-existence, also contributing to why they deserved to get a black skin through their lineage where white people didn't. So there's the scriptural foundations from which LDS racism grew and this was all in place by 1837. Now, let me speak briefly uh, about several uh, modern defenses that the LDS used for this. I once used these defenses myself when I was LDS um, because I didn't think about them. The first line of defense is, God himself is a racist, Sean, uh, Mr. Investigator, because of his dealings with ancient Israel. Do you remember that God would not allow um, the uh, ancient Israelites, anybody to be a priest unless they were from the uh, literal descendant of Aaron? Isn't that prejudice? Isn't that exclusionary? Isn't that racist? And that's the reasoning missionaries will use with people when they say, well, did you used to not let black people have the priesthood? And they'll say, well, God did that. He used to not let anybody have the priesthood, only a special group. Listen carefully. There's a big difference between God saying only a specific line of men could perform in the temple, and God's saying, everyone can perform these duties except a certain people. Do you see the difference? The arguments are not one and the same. It's not racist to exclude all people, but one type, from doing certain things. It's racist to include all people, but to exclude one type from doing certain things. Let me give you a quick example. Imagine a school principal said, made a rule, only fifth graders can run the snack bar at school. Okay, So he makes this statement, only fifth graders can. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe they're more mature. They've earned the right going through the grades. Now they're in fifth grade. They get to run the snack bar. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with him excluding everybody else and just allowing fifth graders to run the snack bar. But it would be wrong if he said, everyone in the school can run the snack bar except black kids. That's called racism. You see, what Mormonism said is everyone can hold the priesthood, but black folks. God said only a limited number of people can be my priesthood holders in the Old Testament. Those are from the direct line of Levi, or of Aaron. So big deal. And so that comparison is shot. Get the difference? They also say in their defense, why worry about it now? We have let the black people have the priesthood since 1978. So we're loving towards them and the Indians, Sean. In fact, we even adopt them and bring them into our homes today to show how much we love them. First of all, just like the doctrine of polygamy, the doctrines that teach racist thought are still in your scripture. So not much has happened there. Who cares what you allow? What do you believe in your doctrinal hearts? When when the typical Mormon who is 35 years of age and older looks at a black person, they automatically think, curse a cane. That's what they think. Inferior in premortal existence. Scary. That's what they think. Even because we have been taught since uh, before 1978 and all the way back to the history of the church. Now, guess who's in the primary leadership positions in Mormonism? Those people who are about 35 years of age to 40 and up. And they're the ones who cut their teeth on the doctrine of racism. So no matter what they're outwardly doing, the doctrines still exist. Uh, Finally, there's never been an apology. Never has the LDS church come out and said, hey, you know, we made a mistake. There's just justifications and fallacious reasonings about why racism was allowed to run amok within Mormonism. How a black person or red person, or brown person, or yellow person, or someone who's really tanned person could ever be LDS. I have no idea unless these people of color actually accept the idea that they were once inferior. I mean, that's the only way I can understand how they could be LDS. Okay, let's finish this up. Once the teaching of Joseph Smith uh, that skin color was the result of personal righteousness, Um, both here and then in his make-believe pre-existence thing, the stage was set to start excluding races and people from uh, being accepted into the religion fully, all because of the color of their skin. Now, early on in the religion, Joseph Smith, uh, I presume unaware of God's view of black people and the priesthood, actually gave a black man, Elijah Abel, the priesthood, and ordained him to the LDS office of a 70. Um, Later on, that was taken back and rescinded completely. I'm going to leave off uh, in the history of the LDS Church of Racism with Joseph Smith having ordained this one black man to it, and we'll continue on next week in that. Next week, we're going to continue forward and how these teachings in Scripture began to morph and how they have affected millions of people and their view of people of different color. Before we go to the phones, I want you to ask yourselves some reasonable questions. First, what kind of god do you think uh, uses the skin pigmentation of a people uh, and allows it to go from white to dark, and then even from dark back to white, uh, based on their attitudes and their ideas and their ideals? It's the Willy Wonka god, you know, he's he's just crazy, he's out there doing things with all kinds of crazy things, that's all I can gather, I mean... Why hasn't God used this pigmentary practice on other peoples and world cultures? How come we haven't found it anywhere else? How come Nazi Germany uh, uh, was white and delightsome, you know, with all their terrible acts? How come God didn't make this a universal rule since all the laws are supposed to be universal, that if you did evil, your skin would turn black? Why did the Bolsheviks stay pale? Charlie manson I mean, that guy's still in prison. He's white as a toilet seat. How <laughs> come he has never changed color? You know, they say we go by eternal principles, they'll never change, and yet this one I've never seen anywhere else except people who live by a hot climate who go outside and get sunburned. So um, the the racial um, ideas that Joseph Smith couched in the Book of Mormon were put there for a reason. They were couched in a backwooded idea of his day, and people wanted to know where Indians came from. And America was getting settled, and the white folks were discovering red-skinned savages and loincloths running around in their backyard and they're like, "Where do these guys come from?" and Joseph Smith was had enough chutzpah to tell them and tell them that God was behind it now I'm uncertain as to what the percentages of the world are white versus another color, but I would guess that at least seventy percent of the world is not white and delightsome and so while not only giving people a fanciful answer of where people of color came from, Joseph tacitly, he, just, he built into this doctrine superiority to the whites. And so they embraced it. They read it and they said, we were superior. And so it, it just fed their ego and pride. And uh, that's where it went. The, the Aryan guys up in Northern Idaho do the same thing today. And as this stuff accumulated in Joseph's head, it began to roll forward and he really began to make a whole thing out of it. So next week, we'll continue to examine about where this stuff went from these early origins of Joseph's mind and how they uh, went from there. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. Please, LDS callers, come on, step up, tell us what you think. First-time callers, if possible, and please have your questions ready with your TV sets turned down. Uh, We have some questions already. First-time callers, LDS, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, We're gonna go and take a uh, look at a few spots quickly. And uh, while the operators clear your calls, we know there are a lot of very good ministries out there, all which need your help. If you're so inclined to the Lord and you're in a position to help out Aletheia Ministries, after you have supported your own church, if you're still in a position, we hope you'll consider Alethe- Aletheia Ministries as a viable ministry worthy of your consideration. So let's run those spots, we'll come back and take calls.
2: Many things live in our city. But this Christmas, hope lives here.
1: I'm Sean McCraney with Alathea Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who appreciate our efforts at reaching others with the saving message from Jesus Christ. We want to invite you, if you're so inclined, to come alongside with us, partner with us financially. Now all uh, support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Alathia Ministries, long-term sustainability, without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there, ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us, 1-888-868-4686. All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. Good countdown, girl. Hey, listen, we got a call from Anna that says she's a Native American and was told by an LDS person that she was less valiant in the preexistence. This is someone who called, uh, and th- it lives on today. You can't get rid of it because it's still in their doctrines. Unbelievable. Listen, we're going to go to Steve in Dayton, Ohio, first-time caller, Line 1. Steve, you're on Harlem Matter.
0: Hey, Sean, how are you?
1: Doing well. How are you?
0: Pretty good, pretty good. I, I love your ministry. Uh, I've just been turned on to it. I've been watching it like the archaic, archives like crazy for the past month.
1: Oh, thanks. But,
0: uh, I just wanted to call and uh, tell you a quick story. Um, I have been in the past for the last four years, up to about a month ago, an investigator into the church, and I just could never make the the leap of faith that they wanted me to always make. Uh And uh, because I studied and I studied, and you know, there were just things that didn't add up. And I met with some sister missionaries recently, and uh, that was kind of the uh, last straw. Basically, they told me. You know I explained to them that i did not uh i did i couldn't uh, accept Joseph Smith as a prophet. I'd read too much i'd studied too much of it the facts about who he was, and i couldn't do it. so what they said to me is you know how they love to give their challenges yeah they uh, they challenged me to in the next week uh, between the time I would meet him again to go around and tell everyone I knew that I believe, and I thought Joseph Smith is a prophet, and basically lie to everyone I know oh. and say I I think he's a prophet. And I don't I didn't know if they, if this was a tactic that they've a new tactic that they're using, but huh. I just found it uh it blew my mind when they told me that I was I was like I, I can't do that I can't lie, and they said well well here's your justification if you say it and you don't feel like you're lying then. It's not a lie, is it? And I go, "But what if I'm a good liar? Wow. What if, what if I'm okay with lying? You know? I, I wasn't exactly you know I was living for the Lord at the time, and uh, lying, you know, is a, is a pretty easy thing for me to do sometimes when I don't have the spirit in me.: Sure. So
1: that's just amazing. Just wanna... That is yeah, just and, amazing. And... But you know what, Steve, that's what the uh, religion really is based on. It's based on that mesmerism of Joseph Smith, speaking it until you believe it's true, telling what you need to say to, to make people believe, and then blind your eyes and go on. And so that's really something, though, that they actually told you to do that. Great story. Yeah,
0: it, Yeah. thank you.
1: Hey, thanks, Steve. Take care.
0: Thanks a lot. You too. God okay, bless.
1: Bye-bye. Diana writes, uh, called in, heard that Joseph Smith had black blood. Uh, true or false? Uh, his blood was probably red. But uh, if he had black blood of, uh, uh, in him, I've heard that, but I haven't seen that. So I, don't, I haven't seen it on utlm.org. I don't know. Check that out, www.utlm.org, and you might be able to find more information there about it. But I'm unsure about that. We can check that out. Speaking of unsure, before we go to Josh in Provo, first-time caller and LDS. Last week, we had a caller ask if I knew if Joseph Smith personally grew up and had any connections or interactions with Indians, uh, I want to tell you that caller, read Indian Origins and the Book of Mormon by Dan Vogel. Indian Origins and the Book of Mormon, Religious Solutions from Columbus to Joseph Smith. I think you'll find all the information about his uh, liaisons or connections with Indians as a boy growing up and as a man in that book. Okay, let's go to Josh in Provo, first time caller. Josh, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: I just wanted to challenge your assertion that the Book of Mormon is a racist text and that Joseph Smith himself was a racist. Um, my my feeling is, and I'm a filmmaker, and I come from um, you know looking at it from the perspective of you know if Steven Spielberg gives us a, a film like Schindler's List, which is a representation of some racist events that happened in our history. Is then that film Schindler's List a racist film? And I look at the Book of Mormon the same way. I think that the argument that you have. Um, of just simply reading scriptures from the Book of Mormon that are racist in nature, and then making the conclusion that the book is a racist text, doesn't hold any water with believing Mormons, because they believe that the book is real. It was a revelation from God. And so what that does is, it's a way of looking at it as a history. And that's the
1: way I look at it. Well, wait wait one minute, though. Yeah. Uh, First of all, next week we're going to read what your religious leaders have said about... Uh, black people and dark-skinned people and Chinamen. So you tell me if those statements are racist or not, and they got that idea from somewhere. Second, well, okay, uh, wait, and that's sec- that's second, and I
3: think there are plenty of discussions to be had about mistakes that other people have made since Joseph Smith. But I okay, but
1: wait, but, and- but let's get to the point. The heart of the matter is the Mormon doctrine in the Book of Mormon is when you are righteous your skin gets lighter and when you were evil your skin gets dark. How can you thinking, say that's a and, model? That's and just. And I don't a, know the
3: ways of God, and I don't personally. Wait! 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 A wait! Wait! Wait!
1: Wait, wait a minute! Wait a minute! You're saying it's not racist. You're saying it's not. But I'm how do you? I, and now you're saying.
3: racist, but I'm telling you that the representation of that is not necessarily racist. If he's re, if he's reporting how, on. How the could it not be racist? Doctrine, which is what believing Mormons believe.
1: Wait! How, wait! Let me give you. Let me give you a parallel. Let's take race out of this. Let's just. say uh, The Book of Mormon said. And when men had adulterous affairs, their hair became red. And when they began to beat their neighbors, their skin became freckled and their hair was red. Would you suggest that the Book of Mormon said that evil acts brought on red hair and freckled skin? You
3: know, God's ways are not our ways. Yeah,
1: oh, so, works, so you, you say it's, God who's, it's God who's the racist. It's God who's the racist, Josh. God is the racist, Josh. Opposed to redheads. Wait a minute, is God the racist? You're
3: assuming that it's racist if something like that occurs.
1: Okay, so then, okay, but wait. So then we have, a, we have a black family walking down the street, and there's a Mormon family who have read that dark skin is a result of sin and evil, and they believe it. And they look out their window, and they see that black family. Do you think for a second they're going to believe that that family is, has, is sometime, somehow equal to them? I, I would hope so. I was raised that you way. You would hope That's so? Bible, how about believe. how about when they can't have the priesthood or go into the temple to receive the New and Everlasting Covenant in order to inherit the Celestial Kingdom all the way up until 1978, 130 years Mormons wouldn't let them receive the Celestial Kingdom and Bruce R. Conkey said that they will be servants in the Celestial Kingdom if they make it at all. Is that not racist? I don't personally much stock in Bruce R. McConkie. Yeah, oh yeah. So you, know, you have a reason for everything to, Smith believe. Smith reason to believe. You have a reason to believe whatever you want, huh? Joseph Smith gave the
3: priesthood to a, bl- to a black man. You just mentioned
1: that. And guess what? The 11th president of the church, Harold B. Lee, said it was a grand mistake, and every prophet from Joseph Smith and three prophets afterward said it was null and void. I think that was a mistake, and I think people make mistakes. Well, you're, so it was, then it you just make up your own rules, Josh, you filmmaker. You get to make up your own little, your own little fanciful mystery films that Joseph really was a, a good guy, and God is the racist. I mean, give me a break. And I, and I never said that. You ha- you're never. saying that right now when you have this I'm discussion your, with me. your argument is problematic. Is all My I argument say. is absolutely sound. It's your re- refutation that's problematic. You're coming and saying, "Hey, it's not racist just because Joseph recorded in scripture that people got black when they did evil things and got white when they did good things." That's not racist. I don't know how God works. Well, of course you don't know, because you're Mormon. And
3: that's up to each individual to pray. We're done, Josh.
1: See you, brother. We're done. All right, we're going to True. I think this is True Ott, a very scholarly guy and pleasant view. True, you're on Heart of the Matter. True. Hello. Hey, True, you're on the air.
2: <laughs> John, great show. I love your shirt, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, man.
1: I got it no, I at to,
2: to Burlington Coat Factory, nine
1: ninety
2: nine. Hello?
1: Sorry, True, you're on the air.
2: Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, the black man that was ordained, I believe his name was Elijah Abel. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's a, that's a strange, strange story, by the way. Uh, how he came to Utah and was... Uh, uh, according to research I've done, is actually one of the uh, servants of Brigham Young, sealed to him and all of that in the temple as well. So yeah. strange thing there. But I just I wanted to make the comment, on that, uh, you know, it was President Carter's administration, and if you really research this, you can find his executive orders, basically uh, ordering... Uh, any any organization that had IRS non-profit status, they would lose that if they didn't open full membership rights to uh, the Negro race. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was just, it just coincidental, just a uh, few months short of uh, Carter's deadline that uh, President Kimball had his revelation.
1: Yeah, it's, isn't that interesting? Yeah, we're gonna get in three weeks. We're gonna get to how they responded ultimately, but that's really good insight there, True. Thanks so much, my friend. Yeah,
2: good show. Appreciate you, Sean. Thanks, thanks
1: for what? Thanks for everything, True. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye, Johnny. Uh, from Orem, first-time caller. Before we go to him, Virginia, we're getting a lot of LDS calling in and saying, Virginia doesn't agree with you that Abraham 3.22 is about race. Abraham 3.22 is the one where Joseph Smith said, Abraham had a vision of the preexistence and saw great and noble ones. Okay, and she's right. That in and of itself in the scripture is not about race, but What the LDS prophets and apostles all the way up till 1978 did with that was say that in the pre-existence, there were those who were inferior, and when they were born, they were given black skin. So Virginia, you're right in the sense of it in and of itself is not. But they took that as a proof text to show that if there were great noble ones in the pre-existence, there were also inferior ones. And those inferior ones are those people who are not just black, but people who were born in third world countries, people who were born yellow, people who were born in starving places, and then the great noble ones came down through a lineage that were LDS, white, and delightsome. We're going to Gianni in Orem, first time caller. Johnny, you're on Heart of the Matter. All
0: right, Johnny. Sean, how you doing? I just, uh, I'm with a buddy, he wanted to say, uh, he wanted to say hello, he had a couple of comments, but uh, I just want to let you know, it's good seeing you, I haven't seen you in a while. Well, and, good uh, to see I mean, you too, a- Johnny. <laughs> I'm going
1: to hand this over to Carl. He's got a couple
2: of comments he wants to tell you. All
1: right. Are you there? It's
2: on. Yeah. Yeah, this is Carl from War. I'm with Gianni, and I um, uh, just wanted to um, make a comment. I'm Native American myself, and uh, I guarantee I'm not getting any wider and uh, i am i am saved by grace i am a christian but i just wanted to make a comment about uh true biblical christianity it's about it's about sin and not skin and it's about grace and not race so uh,
1: ooh, good couplet uh, and if it doesn't fit you must acquit
2: (laughs) (laughs) you know and um I shouldn't say this, but it just came to my mind when I seen your show today that this probably explains why the Jesus of the Bible is a Mormon, because the Bible says he has all the skin, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good so. good points. Uh, thanks so much, Carl. All right, thanks, Sean. You're doing great. God bless you. Bye-bye. You too, brother. Bye. Hey, uh, we have Brandon Layton, first-time caller, really quickly. Last week, I started reading an email from a Lynn Johnson. I called her... Th- uh, the email, the idiocy of, of liberal humanists, and she's the one who went through the Bible and pointed out a bunch of passages that show how ridiculous the Bible is, and the first two I talked about. There's two others. Leviticus 25, states that I might own slaves, male and female, provided they are purchased from neighboring neighbors. A f- she writes, A friend of mine claims that this applies to Mexicans, but not Canadians. Why, why can't I own Canadians? Oh, she's so smarmy and tongue-in-cheek. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, God allowed slavery, if it was from other nations, to keep the children of Israel from owning each other. Remember, they were his covenant children. Now, for a humanist, it's hard to understand these things, but if you read the whole book, you might get it. But he had a covenant people, which was representative of everybody after Jesus came and these covenant people were his and he gave them the law and he didn't want them owning each other. That would have broken his covenant people up. So in a day when slavery and all that was going on, he said, if you're going to have slaves, you can't, but they've got to be from neighboring stations. Finally, she writes, most of the males, uh, friends I have get their hair trimmed, including at their temples, even though this is expressly forbidden in Leviticus 1927. How should they die? Uh, First of all, Jesus, uh, God says in the Old Testament, don't trim the, the hair of your head because uh, the Gentiles did this in the time of mourning. God did not want his covenant people adopting the ways of the Gentiles. Now, if you remember the movie, The King and I, or uh, better yet, uh, The Greatest Story Ever Told, The Ten Commandments, you remember what uh, Yul Brynner looked like as Pharaoh? The, the Egyptians shaved their head. They trimmed, they kept their, they were very into the clean look, you know? And God you look at the pictures of the Jews, they had the ringlets and the beards, and the, God said, grow the hair, don't be trimming. Why? Because you start, you know, idolizing yourself you know, and cutting your hair and looking at the way you look. And God said, don't be like these Gentile nations. That's why they said, don't trim your hair. Okay, you you liberal humanist, Lynn, I hope that answers some of your questions. We're going to Brandon in Leighton, first-time caller. Brandon, you're on Heart of the Matter.
0: Hi, uh, I had this uh, thought about, uh, I keep hearing this refutation from uh, some Mormons that uh, that uh, whenever a prophet uh, doesn't say anything like uh, a... Have you ever heard this thing uh, from Orson Pratt that uh, Jesus was married to many other women? Have you heard
1: that? I think he says it in the seer, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, the funny thing that I always get this reputation, it also goes to racism, too, is that uh, whenever, uh, you know, a prophet doesn't say that, um, then it's just this guy speaking his mind, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, they say that a lot.
0: The funny thing I think about that is... um, uh, Brigham Young was probably very well aware that he said this, so why hasn't he said anything then?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, it, I know. Uh, great question.
0: So, I mean, I just wondered if you had any other thoughts or any other insight on that. Or
1: no, I, you know, they like you. We just heard from the Josh in in Provo. It really doesn't matter, Brandon, what we say or how much logic we use. It's yeah. <laughs> it, it's just they are going to believe until the the cows come home. And so what we try to do is, like reason, bring a reasonable thought like you bring, and somebody out there might be asleep on the couch, suddenly wake up and say, yeah, I never thought of that. And it might break open the door a bit and maybe the light will come on. And that's what we hope to do through all this. But as far as refutation and keep going on with it, I've got nothing, my brother. All
0: right, well, thanks for your,
1: thanks for your time. Hey, thanks, Brandon, take care. Hey, you too, man, bye. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Boyd in Eagle Mountain. He says he's an LDS researcher. Boyd, you're on Heart of the Matter.
4: Hi, I sit here listening to you tonight, and I talked to you once before. That mentioned you got to go to the beginning to get the answer. And you're talking about the Book of Mormon, and have you ever found the answer at the beginning of it, and why it's here, who did it, what's the purpose of it, beginning before all the got people got a hold of it, and you yourself?
1: Wait a second, I. Um... So, go, say it again and just give me a concise... Well, ad- if
4: you're talking about a book that nobody's proven where it's come from, basically, you got all kinds of stories, but do you actually have any proof of where it came from? No and, more and, proof uh,
1: than where Santa Claus comes from.
4: Well, then, uh, why are you <laughs> then you're going on about all this to make a living and building your own church, you know, and you're very brilliant. You remind me like you could be the Antichrist, you're so smart, you know, and you can be very deceptive, like you're supposed to show up at the... Now,
1: me and Obama...
4: <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is, I would really, as all the people talking about the Book of Mormon, Mormon Church, to me is, uh, how can you talk about something until you get to the beginning of it?
1: But you, well, come on, please don't use this, uh, this language, this, the beginning of it. What do you mean by the beginning of the Book of Mormon? Well,
4: let's go back to the beginning of time when God created everything in its entirety. All churches that came from the hands of men, right? Bible books, everything else.
1: You're one of yeah, those. So
4: we going into history. Who wrote all these books? Who actually wrote the book of Mormon, and Why did write it? Why is it right, planted here? And why is it in your your show right
1: now? Uh, it's in my show right now for the same reason that uh, uh, Anton Lavey's book, the the uh, the Satanist Handbook, is being discussed on some Christian show somewhere else. The same reason the uh, uh, the uh, uh, Islamic books are being discussed somewhere on this world. Just because it's being discussed on this show, uh, boy, doesn't mean that it has any validity.
4: Well, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, uh, if if you could really find the answers, why who put it here? Why it's here? You might have the answer. But what you're but,
1: but 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 boy, we have talked. all
4: those all those men in the Mormon Church are human like you are. Okay. But, boy, mistakes, but Boyd, yeah. the, all
1: the men in the Mormon church, that's fine. And I'm human too, and I am more of a sinner than they are, admittedly. But me Boyd. Too, me too, I'm the, a sinner too. Okay, so we're, we agree we're sinners. Yes. Boyd, the, but the question is it's so evident we can read through where, I mean, how do you have sentences and phrases in the Book of Mormon that could not have come from ancient golden plates? How can you have sentences in there that Joseph Smith is a direct translation from these golden plates, which it's impossible for them yeah. to be there? How can, you have plagi- How can you have plagiarized material from the King James version of the Bible in the Book of Mormon that could not possibly have been there? That's the question I ask you. Sean. And so all that leads I to, and
4: you, Sean, where, where did they come from? Who wrote it? Who put? Joseph
1: Smith. There? And, his, and he had seven years from the time he said, I've got plates, or five and a half to six, I've got plates to the time he produced a manuscript. He had and parents Mary. who were teachers. He had Oliver Cowdery. He had Sidney Rigdon. He had influential help. What do you mean, where did it come from?
4: I mean, exactly where did it come from? Why was it here?
1: Oh boy, you are, you're not an, el- I'm sorry, Boyd, but the, the reasoning is circular. I can't continue on, my brother. Thank you for calling. God not bless. About- Joe wants to know where the money goes when it goes into the LDS church. Uh, that, this was the guy who called last week. And um, the money goes to an assortment of different places, which I cannot articulate because they don't articulate it. It goes to buying property and land and building temples and churches. And it helps the poor. It helps uh, needy people sometimes. It helps the Mormons. It builds their empire. But exactly where the money goes, I don't know. Uh, there we go, Bob in South Jordan, first time caller. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter.
5: Hey Sean, um, curious, uh, Elijah Abel, um, when, when did he have his priesthood revoked? Are, are you going to talk about that next week?
1: Uh, no, I'm not, but let me just read this to you, okay?
5: Sure.
1: This isn't Bob Vukic, is it? This is. Bob, you say you're a first time caller, that's a lie.
5: I never said I was a first time caller.
1: Well, why did they put that on there?
5: I don't know why they put there, but I gave him my full name and I gave him my phone number, so
1: I didn't lie. Wonder why they put that on there. Hey, Uh, listen, Bob, it says, from Harold B. Lee, speaking at BYU, Speeches of the Year, 1961, page 7. Some are heralding the fact that there is one of colored blood, Elijah Abel, who was ordained a 70 in the early days. They go to the church chronology and find the date of this ordination and hold that up saying that we departed from what was started way back. But they forgot that also in church history is another interesting observation. President Joseph F. Smith is quoted in a statement under date of August 26, 1908, when he referred to Elijah Abel who was ordained as 70 in the days of the prophet and to whom was issued the 70 certificate. This ordination, when found out, was declared null and void by the prophet himself and so likewise by the next three presidents who succeeded the Prophet Joseph. Somehow, because of a little lapse, a little failure to do research properly, some people reach a conclusion, like Bob Vukic, that they want to reach and make it appear as though something had been done way back from which they had departed, and now we ought to be set in order. The Prophet Joseph Smith said, that person who rises up to condemn the church, saying that the church is out of the way while he himself is righteous, then surely you know that man is on the road to apostasy. Does that answer your question? Not quite,
5: because Elijah Abel's son was ordained an elder in 1908, and his grandson was ordained an elder in 1935. So So what are you saying? Harold B.
1: Lee was lying?
5: No, I'm saying he's in error, especially since uh, in 1961. Your prophet was in error? He wasn't the prophet in 1961, was he, Sean? Was
1: he an apostle?
5: He was an apostle, but in Okay, and isn't, he a po- a
1: isn't an apostle, Bob, considered a prophet, seer, and revelator? Uh,
5: is he considered inerrant?
1: Is he considered a prophet, seer, and revelator? He
5: is. I, yeah, okay, so like there that, you go
1: with your double speak, do Bob, which again? you are not a reliable source, Bob, and this oh, is why like, we don't let you like on you the show, Bob. <laughs> All right. We're going to Marcus in Boise. Marcus, you're on heart of the matter. Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm doing well. How you doing?
5: Oh, I'm doing so great. Thank you for letting me on the air. I just wanted to call and thank you. Um, I was a, I'm a former Mormon of, oh shoot, 28 years. I served wow. a mission in Jackson, Mississippi wow. uh, for the LDS Church. And um, you and my wife and so many people praying for me were a big, uh, big part of me coming to the Lord on February 15th. I was baptized Christian at Calvary Chapel here in Boise.
1: Praise God. That's awesome. Great God indeed, Marcus. thank you, my
5: friend. Um, I wanted to partner with you to start a Mormon outreach ministry up here in Boise, Idaho, and I just wanted to share with your your listeners. Um, I was I never felt like I fit in with the church. I would question things at a young age and was always put down for that, and always made to feel like an outcast. And um, my guilt and things that burdened me so heavily my whole life. Um, on my on my best day as a, a member of the LDS Church. Um, uh, on my worst days as a Christian, I would never go back. Uh, God is so good, and, and His grace is so wonderful. And um, uh, I just want to thank you for your ministry, and and I hope that I can partner up with you and and help save some people here in the in the Treasure Valley here in Idaho because they desperately need to know Christ's love.
1: Well, we'll talk, my my friend Marcus. I really appreciate the call, and it's always great to hear people who have come out. They come out because of a relationship with the Lord. That's what it's all about. We praise God. Thank you so much, my friend. We'll talk Thanks later. You, we will. Thanks. Bye-bye. And listen, you know, you have to understand. And so I'm going to tone it down here. This is TV. And in order to keep you watching, I have to be a little bit animated. We get people like Bob, who is a deceptive man, in my opinion. And we get a guy like Josh down in Orm, who will say whatever's necessary to try to seem right. Um, those things, I will heighten it up just for your entertainment and to show the fight. But bottom line, it's all about, do you believe you've been saved by your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you believe saved by grace, actually, because of faith? Have you confessed Him with your mouth? Have you told God that you're a sinner and you cannot do anything without His saving grace in your life? Have you asked Him into your heart? Have you asked God to be born again? I don't care if you're Mormon and you wanna stay Mormon, really, I'm not big onto any of this stuff, But if you know Jesus, that's what we care about. Have you gone to him and asked to be born again? Have you asked him, open my eyes, open my ears, heal my heart? Have you said, show me Sean McCraney. Tell me, show me if he's a liar. That's fine. Tell me truth. Have you said, I wanna know truth no matter what? Because let me tell you something, you're gonna take your last breath someday. It might be tomorrow because of a car accident or cancer or it might be 40 years, 50 years from now, but you're going to take your last breath. And Jesus told the Jews, "If uh, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sin. And this is why we do it. Mormon, Catholic, Baptist, Hindu, Muslim, we don't want anyone dying in their sin. We want them to take the simple test, an easy test, and go to God and say, show me. Open my eyes, teach me your truth. This is what we hope for, and we hope you'll do it. This is why we do the show, to reach out to people who through Mormonism, like myself, 40 years, never was able to see the need for Jesus in the complete relational sense. All I could see was the need for him as a janitor to pick up my sin and then uh, doing all the right steps to have that janitor come in and take that uh, sin away. And that's not how it works at all. You've been fed a lie, you've been given false promises, and you're serving a taskmaster who keeps you in bondage. Don't keep up. Go to the Lord tonight. Ask him, show me, Lord. Plead with him. He will do it. We pray God's blessings upon you. Join us next week. We continue to talk about racism in Mormonism. We'll see you then.